Bring It On is a public affairs program exploring the people, issues, and events affecting the African-American communities in South Central Indiana and beyond. Bring It On is a forum for the people, by the people, produced by an independent team of volunteers working at the studios of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana, and financially supported by listeners like you. to bring it on a multiple award-winning program and for more than 12 years we remain indiana's only weekly community radio show committed to exploring the people issues and events impacting the african-american community and good evening i'm cornelius wright today you'll also hear from deborah meyerson of the community committee for education equity she is representing an organization that desires the mccsc to appoint a working group of school board members to examine the boundaries for school board seats and review the school's governance plan. All in the next hour, I'm Bring It On. Uh, but first, excluding skin cancers, colorectal cancer is the third most common cancer diagnosed in both men and women in the United States. Of cancers that affect both men and women, colorectal cancer is the second leading cause of cancer-related deaths in the United States and the third most common cancer, again, in men and women. When colorectal cancer is found early, it can often be cured. The death rate from this type of cancer has been declining since the mid-1980s, possibly because it is usually diagnosed earlier now and treatments have improved. In 2014, the most recent year's numbers are available, 139,992 people in the United States were diagnosed with colorectal cancer, including 73,396 men and 66,596 women. 51,651 people in the United States died from colorectal cancer, including 27,134 men and 24,517 women. We are fortunate to have with us <coughs> Jamie Cornwell, cancer educator, nurse navigator with the Olcott Venture uh, Center rather, at IU Health Bloomington to discuss these uh, rates more and talk about early detection and preventative steps we all can take. Jamie, welcome to Bring It On. Thank you very much. I'm happy to be here. Uh, I'm glad you're joining us. Uh, I must admit this is a topic that is rarely discussed. It sort of rates up there with prostate cancer and prostate examinations. It's uh, for men, um, something about the male machismo maybe. Uh, men just sort of shy away from this type of conversation. But boy, if we ever needed to have the conversation, it's now. Um, and I'm so glad that you're joining us tonight to talk about um, to really maybe smack some of our listeners upside the head in your own gentle way to say, look, get yourself checked out. But uh, I guess first, um, I would ask, are there any ways to prevent colorectal cancer? So there are some ways that you can decrease your risk factors for colorectal cancer. So obesity is something that plays a, a major factor into colorectal cancer. So watching your weight. How would you define obesity? Obesity is greater than uh, 30 BMI. Okay, so body mass index, um, okay. So, okay, all right. There's not too many Americans um, that don't fit into that category, actually, <laughs> <laughs> myself included. So um, you can be more active, being more physically fit and more active um, and watching your diet. So a diet mm -hmm. that's higher in, in fiber is uh, decreases your risk factors. Um, so, and then um, 
diets higher in fatty foods Mm -hmm. and foods that are fried, red meats, those increase your risk for colorectal cancer. So a diet rich in vegetables and fruits is a better diet for you. And then heavy drinkers or people that smoke are actually at higher incidence for colorectal cancer. You saw me grimacing as you were going down uh, uh, the list there. Um, how much a part of this is, is culture versus, hey, this happens to anybody, doesn't matter who you are? So a lot of cancers, about 80% of cancers are sporadic, so we don't know why they come and why we get them. So, but then you do want to decrease your risk of cancer if you possibly can. So if you can possibly pay attention to your diet a little bit and um, not smoke and then not drink so heavily, then you would decrease your risk factors. Now, is there a certain population that's more at risk? And the reason I ask that is I was doing some research on this. I found out that black men were probably more at risk for colon cancer than any other uh, demographic. But in looking at these numbers as we were talking about, uh, it seems that women are almost as close. 27,134 men have died, 24,517 women. So is there one population that's more at risk? And what populations, if there's, if there's a list that goes down, you know, what would that risk be? So during my research, as before I came <coughs> to the show, I was doing some research. And my research... Um, was similar to yours, but maybe a little bit different. So it says that African-Americans are at the highest incidence. And when you compare those those numbers, they were going based on per 100,000 people. So per 100,000 people, I found the, my research in my research that 56 black males compared to 45 Caucasian males was the average. Now how about between black men and black women? So for um, for females the comparisons um, were 43.2 per per 100,000 for African-American females and Caucasian females would be 34.2 so about 10 less for females if you compare races per 100,000 and then about again about 10 or 11 less per 100,000 for now, males. Now besides the things that you spoke about with Clarence uh, exercise diet, foods we eat, etc, has there been any other research on why those numbers are, are, are so uh, drastically different? No. I didn't find any in my research I didn't find anything that would would play into effect. Um, there are some genetic risks so people with a strong family history are going to have a higher incidence of cancer and that may just be a strong family history or that could also be a genetic mutation so there is also mutations within our genetics and within our dna that can can put us at higher risk for any type of cancer so there's genetic testing that can be done if your doctor um, would identify that there is a strong enough risk within your family then you can actually have genetic testing done to look for that genetic mutation now the one thing for that and it's a huge topic of conversation right now in our country obviously is health health care and insurance 
how does insurance cover that testing if the doctor says that it's necessary? They do if there's a strong <coughs> enough risk identified. So for um, different types of cancers, there are different types of criteria that different insurance plans require you to have in order to have the genetic testing done. Genetic testing is a very costly testing. Um, somewhere above $4,000 to have a full genetic panel through um, a genetic testing lab. So the insurance companies are pretty strict about the criteria. So you would have to have um, meet the criteria for that testing. Um, and for our listeners out there, you know, we, we never want to assume that everyone has a, a good base knowledge on a particular topic, but uh, my understanding of, say, cancer uh, is a cell or a group of cells that all of a sudden go rogue and they just want to develop and do what they want to do, or there's a trigger that occurs later in life that uh, triggers them to begin to either mutate differently. Um, it, it's nothing where you drink someone's out of someone's cup of water and you're going to get this. I want to dispel some of those myths if we can, but at, at the basic level, is it a, a cell or a group of cells that just go rogue? They do. So you're not going to catch cancer from someone sitting next to you or even from having any type of contact with someone. So the normal cells just continue to multiply on a daily basis. So when it comes to cancer, they have decided to multiply and to invade tissue next to the type of tissue that they're supposed to be imitating. So they will um, go into the tissue, surrounding tissue, and they don't just, for instance, make the normal lining of your colon. <coughs> they decide to multiply, and it initially starts with a polyp with colorectal cancer. So those tissues have decided to multiply and to create something that they're not supposed to. So that almost <coughs> went into my next question was how does colorectal cancer start? But I guess one of the other things is how often should screenings be done? And I know there's a program going on now through the Alcott Center. And if you would let our listeners know a little bit about that. So colorectal cancer does start with a with some type of polyp. Gen most often about 90% of the time that's a polyp that kind of grows out into your colon. So they recommend that after age 50 that you have a colonoscopy every 10 years. Um, should you have a higher risk factor, your doctor or physician may recommend that you have that screening a little more often, but they also recommend that you have a test. Um, there are several different types of tests, but the test that we're performing at the Alcott Center is we have been given an initiative this year to test people for colorectal cancer with a fecal immunochemical test. So those are short-term fit tests. Um, that's the short way of saying it is a fit test. So with this test, you can simply come into the Alcott Center. There are some criteria that they do want you to meet. So they want you to be 50 to 75 years of age. They want you to have no history of colorectal cancer. If you would have a history of colorectal cancer, then you would need more in-depth screening through your physician. Um, they don't want you to have had a colonoscopy in the last 10 years, 
and they don't want you to have done a fit test within the last 12 months. So if you have not had any testing done basically, then we're offering these tests free of charge. So it's a simple test that you come in, you speak with me, I can explain in approximately five minutes how to do this test, sign your consent and you're out the door with the fit test and it is being done free of charge. So this test will test for blood in your stool and um, be, be able to test to see if you have a risk and factor there or you have the blood in your stool which would be an indicator. So then you can, um, if you would have blood in your stool, then you would want to follow up with a colonoscopy. So this is a simple procedure that you can do at home. Now, one thing that you mentioned, and we were talking earlier, I remember I was speaking with Wanda, you mentioned the age 50, 55 years old. But if a person has had colorectal cancer in their family's history, and that person had it at a younger age, would those people be able to come in also to get this test? There's been a little bit of one person has told me yes and one person has told me no about that. So um, the last I heard was that we, the, the people that are doing our testing feel like that if you have a strong family history, then that's even more of a reason to have more in-depth screening. So they feel like that probably doing a fit test because that's only going to detect the blood if that polyp is bleeding right at that time. So they felt like that it would probably be better if you had a strong family history that you go ahead and get the colonoscopy rather than the fit test. For those who have just joined us uh, on Bring It On, uh, we're talking with Jamie Cornwell, cancer educator, nurse navigator with the Olcott Center at IU Health Bloomington. And she's talking about a topic that, to be honest, uh, is not rarely, is rarely talked about in some circles. Uh, it's Some are a little uh, uneasy talking about it, uh, probably due to a lack of education. And uh, a lot of people are well overdue for these examinations. What type of education uh, initiatives are you launching to kind of bring people in or to convince them to go get this test for screening? So um, I'm here tonight, and then I have um, some upcoming health um, fairs that I'm going to be able to attend in order to try to get the tests out. Mm -hmm. um, we were graciously given 200 fit tests, and we have only um, probably dispensed less than 50 of those mm. so far and I came on board in May to the Alcott Center so we have many of these tests that we really feel like that it's very important it's a free test and it's a good chance to get tested um, and to have the screening done so we feel like that having this opportunity to be able to get this testing done and get it done for free especially we always have some type of screening tool at the Alcott Center for colorectal cancer mm -hmm. but it's usually just the paper throwaways that you put into the toilet mm -hmm. that you write down yourself whether it was positive or negative mm -hmm. but the fit tests are something that are a little more expensive that actually go to the lab and they're tested and they're much more accurate mm -hmm. so we feel like having this opportunity to get these kits out into our community to individuals that are at risk is very important. Well, I know your uh, strategy may involve um, sending out letters or 
as you're as you mentioned, talking with us, maybe doing public service announcements. Uh, are you averse to, say, maybe talking to men's groups at churches? Um, sometimes pastors can extend a challenge to their men's group or organizations. Uh, there are a lot of fraternal. There are a lot of uh, lodges. Uh, there are lots of organizations. Um, and we're, are, is the focus primarily male? I just want to be careful about that. Is it primarily male or is it anyone? No. The tests are available okay. to anyone that meet the criteria. But maybe challenges like that uh, from trusted people who might speak to those who are members of an organization and say, I'm going, who will go with me? Because that number out of the 200, only 50 being uh, utilized, that, that, that's way low. Well, and, and I might add that the status of black males, this is one of the things that we've taken on as a mission this year. Mm -hmm. And we've been working with the Alcott Center. And the frustrating thing for us, I've given out personally probably about 10 of the, the kits, uh, of the, the pamphlets to have people come in to talk to Jamie. I've watched people fill them out in front of me, and they haven't brought them in. So we're trying to come up with a strategy that even with that, when people say they're going in, how do we get them to come in? So it is a touchy subject. No one wants to talk about their bowel movements. And I imagine that it is... Um, something that people hesitate to do but you can come into my office I can close the doors it can be private I can explain very simply how to do the test and it's a test that you don't have to take all the laxatives and prep for like you do with a colonoscopy it's something that you do n absolutely no prep for you take it home with you you put it into a box and you put it in the into the mailbox and it comes it goes to the lab and then um, after I've dispensed that kit then I continually check for those results and then make sure that that they there has, is, is a champion physician that those results go to so if we have a positive result then that physician is going to help us to try to get some further testing done such as a colonoscopy if you would test positive for the blood in your stool. Now one of the things that I know that uh, we've been trying to do is, is reach that population that doesn't normally come to doctors, go to the churches, go to those places where they may hear this information. So when we get these people in the office and they do take the test and they find out that it may be positive, a lot of these people aren't going to have resources for further medical care. So there's a way that you guys at the Alcott Center can coordinate them with another doctor, physician, or some type of health care person that can help them get the further help that they need. So if we would get a positive test, then we would try to, well, we would have to figure a way to get the further testing done, whether that's refer them to possibly like volunteers in medicine or someplace like that to get them a physician that's on a volunteer basis in order to get the testing done. There's also an agency at the hospital that will help individuals that do not have insurance to be able to apply for insurance. So that would be another option if they didn't have insurance to send them over to that office or have them call that office for some assistance to get them qualified for some type of insurance. I know a lot of people, um, when you talk about screenings or, or medical tests like this, uh, the fear they have is that positive and, and what it means and their worst fears maybe being realized and not maybe perhaps understanding that a false positive could occur if, say, you have, uh, say, hemorrhoids that are bleeding. Correct. Uh, so it's not necessarily you get this positive indication. It's just saying, okay, 
we see something, let's take it a step further and just rule out a whole lot of things and uh, make sure that you're in the best situation you can be in. I think they also have to take into consideration that early screening in any type of cancer is the key to survival. So as I was doing my research to do this talk show, um, I, I was looking, and so I looked into just colorectal cancer. Um, the majority of our patients at the Alcott Center are breast cancer, and I know those facts. But with colorectal cancer, we get a few referrals for them, but we don't get the strong referrals that we do for some other cancers. So I was doing some research, and so, for instance, when I looked at like a stage one colorectal cancer, there's a 92% survival rate. So if you wait and you don't get your testing and then you just start having black tarry stools or you start having bright red blood in your stools, then you could be at a later stage in cancer. So if you've, you've waited until it's a stage four and it's progressed to another organ, then your survival rate is only 11%. So if it were me, I would rather simply do this simple test and to be able to get the screening done, know if I possibly had an issue, get the follow-up testing done and find out possibly I don't have an issue, but if I do have an issue and it's just a polyp that's bleeding, then they could remove that polyp before it even turns cancerous. That's straight talk from Jamie Cornwell, cancer educator, nurse navigator with the Alcott Center at IU Health Bloomington. Uh, describe, if you will, uh, the colonoscopy. Uh, a lot of people have horror stories about what in their mind this is, but if you really explain it to people, sometimes eliminating just the unknown decreases the fear and anxiety. So the worst part of a colonoscopy for myself was the prep. Mm -hmm. So you have to take a lot of laxatives and get your colon cleaned out so that the doctor can go in. They give you a mild sedative, which you kind of just kind of rest, relax, sleep, and um, then they take a light and go in and examine your colon and it's a flexible tube. I had no residual effects after the colonoscopy. So it's a fairly easy procedure with the exception of the prep mm -hmm. which takes a couple, you know. I think some, some may time. remember uh, Cornelius when Katie Couric on the uh, Today Show uh, uh, very bravely had a test, public test done, because she had lost her husband Correct. Uh, a little earlier to a colon cancer. So in her effort to educate uh, the nation, um, she underwent that. And some she, she got a lot of some pushback and whatever, but I have to applaud her uh, sort of for demystifying that whole experience and uh, just being transparent to say, hey, look, men as well as women can uh, be affected by this. Um, we talked about genetics. Let's talk about the signs and symptoms. You began uh, to sort of share tarry stool, uh, yellowish stools, uh, blood, bright red blood. What other tenderness, soreness, uh, anything else? So it can be just a simple change in your bowel habits. So some chronic constipation, some loose stools, just a change in what your typical bowel movement pattern is. Um, it can be... Um, some people may feel like that after they go to the bathroom that they still feel like they need to go to the bathroom. That's a, that's a sign. Some cramping, belly pain, um, and with any cancer, an unintentional just sudden drop in your weight is a sign of cancer. So that's a sign of colorectal cancer also. 
I think some of those symptoms you may have described, uh, maybe 80% of the listeners. Um, but nevertheless, I mean, it's just that thing. Go well, get it done. Check it off. It's done. I've been screened. Well, again, Clarence, you, you mentioned something important because a lot of times some of those symptoms may happen from time to time. So are we talking about something that's happening on a regular basis, or is it that one time that may be off a little bit and you think, hmm, so? So I don't think having um, a bout of constipation is a reason to um, go to your doctor and say, I need some screening done. Mm -hmm. But if you continually, over a month or so, you're continually having a change in your bowel pattern, then I would say that would warrant some screening. And again, if you're over 50, um, then it is recommended that you do the screening anyway. So get your annual screenings done. Now, for people that are over 50, they have no family history, they haven't had any problem, but they're just hitting that magical number. Would you recommend them getting the FIT test first or just going straight and getting the colonoscopy? They do recommend at age 50 that you get a colonoscopy done just and then every 10 years after. And that establishes more or less a baseline, um, or in some cases, they may go in and they may find a polyp that is small. They do a quick removal, examine it, and say, okay, it was, we caught it way early, uh, and that was it. That's all we saw. But we still want to see you again and do the appropriate follow-up. So statistics show that a polyp takes 10 to 15 years to turn into cancer. Mm -hmm. So if you're getting your normal screenings and they're finding those polyps and removing them, then you decrease your risk of getting cancer. So if you remove it before it turns into cancer, then you're, you're going to not get cancer. Mm -hmm. uh, in the remaining time we have, we have about, oh, four to five minutes left. One thing, um, and I know we're talking colorectal today, but there's another issue for men uh, that ranks up there too, I would say, and that's the prostate exams. Um, and that can easily initially be checked with the annual check uh, with your physician and then also the, I guess, the PSA test yes. that they may perform. That's a blood workup. Uh, and, and the Alcott Center assists with, with those screenings as well or education along those lines, or is that another agency that men should look at? So right now we don't have an initiative to screen for prostate cancer. That's mm -hmm. something that you have to do through your physician. Okay. But as the educator, I'd like to get you back on at another time to talk about that. Um, that's another area. And someone even said that uh, if you really look at it, if a man lives long enough, he's more likely going to develop issues along those lines, which is really kind of fascinating. And there's theories that abound about it. but. Uh, nothing beats education. It, de it demystifies the, the ignorance and, and, and in, a, in a real way. I mean, if you don't know, you're, you're ignorant about something. And so just erase it all and, and get your screening. I know we don't do a lot of call to actions, but today we are doing a call to action. Get your screening for colorectal cancer. And I'm going to kind of go 360 degree uh, change here. October is Breast Cancer Awareness Month. My little sister passed away from breast cancer, so it's something very near and dear to my heart. So in the last couple of minutes, could you tell our audience and our listeners the importance of breast cancer awareness, what's going on in the month of October, and what they should do? So we just had the Hoosiers Outrun Cancer this past weekend. I don't have the date with me, but the Breast Cancer Walk is upcoming um, here in Bloomington. Um, breast cancer will affect one in eight women. And as I started this journey into this position, that, that number in itself was 
pretty um, surprising to me. So the Alcott Center does a lot of education. Um, we do a lot of things for women with breast cancer. Um, from being that person that's able to when your doctor um, tells you something and you really don't understand and you're too ashamed to ask, you can call your navigator and we will find the answers for you. To um, support groups and then all of those things that ladies need during that diagnosis. So um, again, with, with breast cancer, with any cancer, um, you know, having your screenings done, early detection is key to survival with any cancer. So the earlier you detect any type of cancer, the better your survival rate will what be. What about mammograms? Mammograms um, should be done annually for, for females. Is there over an age the that they should 40. start? Age 40 on. Uh, we'll, we'll let that be the last word, um, but also we do want you to leave a phone number or an email for people uh, to get in touch with you. So my direct number is 812-353-5674, and then the number to the Alcott Center is 812-353-5669. So either of those numbers will get you with the secretary or myself Monday through Friday from 8 to 5. Normally on the radio, we repeat, uh, so I'll repeat your personal. So my personal um, phone number at the Alcott Center is 812-353-5674. The number to the secretary is 812-353-5669. So that's 812-353-5669 for the Alcott Center. Jamie, I want to thank you so much for coming in this evening. It's been very educational. And I look forward to working with you in the future. I'll be giving you a call later this week so we can get together and come up with a, str a strategy to get more people in. Okay. I would appreciate any of those opportunities. All thank righty. you very much. We want to thank Jamie Cornwell, cancer educator, nurse navigator with the Alcott Venter at IU Health Bloomington to discuss these rates and more to talk about early detection and prevention steps that we can all take. It's always great to have angels visit us in the studio. Bring It On has an open submission policy, so if you have an idea for this program, let's hear it. Send an email to our volunteer staff. The address is bringiton at wfhb.org. We want to make sure we share everything and anything affecting the African-American community with our listening audience in Bloomington and beyond. The email address, once again, is bringiton at wfhb.org. Support for WFHB comes from Limestone Post, an online culture and lifestyle magazine for Bloomington and beyond. Explore articles, photo essays, and videos on the arts, outdoors, local history, community events, and all the topics that make Bloomington such a great place to live. Limestone Post, writers with a voice, photographers with a vision, online at limestonepostmagazine.com. And support also comes from Juanita's Restaurant, located at 620 West Kirkwood. Juanita's Restaurant is a family-owned and operated business that brings Mexican cuisine to Bloomington, Indiana. Catering service is also available. More at 812-339-2340 or online at juanitas.com. Still Muddy
takes love. I used to occasionally try my hand relationally, obsessive with the outside appearance of what I saw facially. What I had to have, have just didn't add up. Amounted too much from what was revealed. Seeing past they looks and such. The baggage pile up, reveal it, shine through. Feathers rile up, emotions rev like an engine engine. Then they drive up, sushi jet. I shoot for the exit myself. A quick outro and a loss for words, like when it's outro. Be my soulmate, must up change for the toll gate. The life I was chasing wasn't real. I used to roll fake with this outtake. The right thing, I always did last. And like an outbreak, everything caught up with me too fast. That can't stop me. Come out, pure as gold, and do I fold? Dismiss the ladder. Then I embrace the promise told. I receive it, and with Christ like faith, I believe it. Predestined, manifested, I water the seed invested. How do I begin dealing with the past guilty of sin? Though I know I'm not enslaved by his power. Deep inside my soul is free, but my mind reflects time and time again. Frustration got me burning from degrees of separation. Cause my deeds put a distance in between a close relation with my children. In physical sense, contact is limited to often as possible visits and phone conversations. Face the fact I know I'm only part of half of the blame. But in full, I feel the same. And at present, it's not the same as when I was there to give them names. And my presence was felt. To say they claim that I was daddy So often I feel the sadness of the outcome of the madness With me and mama Now we all face the drama through faith And God for healing, yes, this price I must pay Not a day that goes by I don't envision your faces Please forgive me
just heard It Takes Love by Grammatical Revolutions in the Spirit. Featured on this track was the group Out of Eden. This is Bringing On, the People's Forum for Black Culture in South Central Indiana and beyond. Are you a tweeter? You're invited to follow the WFHB News Twitter account. This is a great way to get breaking news and updates on what's going on behind the scenes and on the air with WFHB News. Go to twitter.com and search for WFHB News, or you can always visit WFHB's news website at wfhb.org news. To keep up with the local news and find out what's happening behind the scenes at WFHB, you're invited to like the WFHB Facebook page. Go to facebook.com and search for WFHB. Or you can always visit the WFHB News website at wfhb.org news. Bring It On is Indiana's only public affairs program dedicated to the African-American community here on WFHB 91.3 <coughs> FM and live on the web at WFHB.org. For Bring It On, I'm Clarence Boone. And I'm Cornelius Wright. Now at the top of the hour, we share that Deborah Meyerson of the Community Committee for Education Equity was coming to join us. She is representing an organization that desires uh, that the MCCSC, that's Monroe County School Community, Corpora- community Monroe County Community School Corporation appoint a working group of school board members to examine the boundaries for school board seats and review the school's governance plan. Deborah, welcome to Bring It welcome On. Welcome indeed. Thank you. My pleasure to be here. Uh, we're, uh, first of all, grateful. This is somewhat on the surface a complex uh, topic, but at its very simple, let's sort of build a base to to build on and, and then discuss some of the really salient issues here. Can you describe the powers of a school board? Sure. Um, The school board is seven members. Um, They are from districts um, that are throughout the county, and their job is essentially to hire the school superintendent, in this case it's Dr. Judith DeMuth, and to oversee what the superintendent does to provide, they're the board of trustees, they are the guiding governing body of the school corporation to manage the budget, manage the uh, the responsibilities uh, that the school has to the community and to students, uh, to families, and to teachers. Now, there's seven dif- different school districts, and my understanding is the last time that there was any type of changes was 1994. Sure. Would and you talk a little about that, uh, how it was set up at that time, where we are now, and where we would like to see us go? 
Thank you. Um, just to clarify, because it can get a little confusing, these are school board districts. Um, uh, the corporation has designated these seven different geographic areas that when a school board member runs, they have to live in that geographic district in order to be eligible to run for that seat. Um, so there's, again, this is just school board districts. Um, those were last revised in 1994, so 23 years ago, uh, because they had at the time been unequal in population. Um, going back a little bit in history, then 1968 there was a school consolidation effort. Uh, previously there had been a Bloomington Metropolitan School District, townships had their own school districts, and there was a consolidation countywide. Uh, in this case, RBB became its own, Richmond Bean Blossom, and then MCCSC was taking formation. But there was still the interest in having the geographic representation from throughout the county. You've got the city, you've got the county. People want to make sure they all have a say in how the schools are governed with this new consolidation. And so the way they did it was they had city districts, they had some township districts. But what had happened by 1994 was that these populations were widely unequal. Again, they weren't even founded with an equal foundation in 68. Uh, and so you had some districts that had 20 to 30,000 residents and others that had as few as 2,500. And so what happened in 1994 was that the League of Women Voters of Bloomington Monroe County got together with interested parties from the school board to look at how to divide these districts differently so they would have equal populations. And at the time in 94, each of those seven districts had 7,500 residents each approximately. Um, and that's the way it's been ever since. Uh, unfortunately, right now, we're back at the stage that we started at in 94, where the populations are widely different. You've got some of the most populous districts have 22 to 25,000 residents, and some of the smaller ones have grown more slowly, have 10 to 12,000. And what types of problems are we seeing because of the outdated school districts? Sure. I wouldn't be so much to say it's a problem, except if you look at the actual democratic process. I mean, again, the point in 94 was to have equal populations. And again, what that means is that's where you get school board candidates from. If you've got a school board uh, district that has only 10 to 12,000 residents, you have a smaller population to draw from prospective candidates. And one of the issues that's come up is that in the last several elections, there's only been, uh, there's been at least one contest that's been uncontested. So you'll have a school board member running and nobody's running against that person. And I would suggest that for the, a really healthy democratic process, one that provides a diverse school board with ample opportunities for diverse racial, socioeconomic representation, we need contested elections with uh, equity amongst those school board districts. You know, that, that, that sounds very compelling. Uh, what is the potential um, worst case scenario if things continue as they are in status quo? Well. Again, I think the status quo is one in which people are relatively comfortable because there's not been major things, but things pop up. There's been the lunch shaming issue. Um, there's been the question about the, the school buses and how contracting out routes for that. And some might say that we've got a very responsive school board, but we might need some more proactive opportunity and just... I think this is an opportunity for people to become, one, more acquainted with how our school governance plan works and how the school board works. And two, I would hope become more interested in potentially being involved with schools and perhaps even running for school board. Uh, how can updating the districts improve diversity, if at all, do you think? Well, 
again, there's a couple different ways. One would be at least equalizing the different uh, districts. It would provide just a little more balance. But honestly, appointing a review committee, which is what our group, our specific goal is to request the school board appoint a review committee to look at this question about the districts, other parts of the school governance plan, and look at Right now, every school board member is what's called at large. So even though they have to live in that district to run as a candidate, when, they're, when voters go to the polls, every, all voters vote for all school board members. And so they are not necessarily a mix. Again, like city council or county council is an example of a mix of at large plus geographically representative. The geographically representative candidates are accountable to the voters in their district. Again, that's different from how it works now. And they get to, I would argue that if we had that for the schools, they could know their schools better too. Right now, every school board member being at large, if they wanted to know the schools more intimately, would have to go to every school in the county at least within the MCSE's boundaries. Um, if they were re geographically representative, they could get to know the schools within their district. And I think that's a real potential that, again, a review committee could discuss, examine, and uh, just consider further. Well, you mentioned the uh, review committee, and per the proposal that, that your organization has uh, offered up, you're wanting the review committee members to be comprised of current board members, a small working subset of the current board structure to review itself? Well, the way the Indiana um, code allows for a revision of the school governance plan to happen is it either can be a vote by the school board to do that or 10% of registered voters, which is a, a much higher bar. So having the school board appoint this committee, we envision it would be a mix both of school board members as well as members of the community. Um, on the last school board meeting was last Tuesday, September 26th. We had a wonderful turnout both of members of our committee and other allied groups in the community, both uh, the Monroe County Black Democratic Caucus, the League of Women Voters for Bloomington Monroe County. Um, we have allies with Bloomington's showing up for racial justice, with Monroe County Now, with the Indiana Coalition for Public Education uh, for Monroe County, a wonderful assortment, the NAACP for Monroe County, all have come out supporting this effort to request this review committee. And so we're really pleased that the school board has now put it on their October 19th work session agenda uh, to discuss this further. At the MCCSE uh, facility? Uh, yeah, that'll be at the MCCSE administration building. It's at 530 on Thursday, October 19th. And that'll be a chance, even though the public doesn't have a comment period during their work sessions, like as they do during a business uh, regular school board meeting, uh, we certainly encourage members of the public to come to this to show their support for this effort because that provides some accountability. Now, before these meetings start in October, what message would you like to send to the public for them to call our school board uh, before they even get into these sessions about these changes? Sure, that's an excellent suggestion. I mean, some of what we've done to date and we're continuing to do and certainly encourage listeners out there to do is to contact school board members. It might be by email, certainly by phone is a possibility. Um, email is probably one of the easiest ways to do it because you can send it to everybody at once and just express your support and interest in this. Uh, I'm also happy to answer questions. We have an email address that's 
educationalequityin at gmail.com. And if you have questions that you'd like answered before you contact school board members, I'm happy to answer that. We also have a Facebook page that is educationalequityin at the end of facebook.com. So uh, there's lots of information on the Facebook page that may be of interest for folks who would like to know more about this. Now, one thing that I'd like to do just personally is to thank you for the work you're doing and shout some kudos out to you. Uh, you've, you've, you've done a lot of great research that a lot of us in town have seen and used. Um, how did you get started in this whole thing? Oh, that's a good question. Well, I've been an active member of the Indiana Coalition for Public Education for Monroe County for several years now. Uh, but I have seen, as I've been more involved just with publication, public education in the community, just, again, observe several school board elections. Um, my uh, own boys went to Fairview, looking at some of the equity issues within schools in the community and just becoming more attentive overall to public education in our community. And so I feel like that the starting point for equity issues in the community is really the school board because they are the governing body that oversees the school corporation. And so if we would like to address broader issues of education in the community, having a fully functional, healthy democratic school board is the way to go. Now, obviously you've been in contact with a lot of our school board members. Um, for our listening audience, the best way to contact them, telephone calls, email, fax, all of the above, but what have you found most effective? I think email is really the most effective, again, both for the person who's contacting the board members. Um, it's an easy way to send it to everybody at once, uh, as well as to get a response back. Uh, it's uh, there's again I'm happy to either send uh, email addresses you can uh, look at it on that Facebook page it's on the MCCSC website certainly uh, and so easy to contact them other means I think are certainly optional but I would suggest email to be the most effective for those uh, who have just joined us we're having a conversation with Deborah Meyerson of the Community Committee for Education Equity uh, she's come on today to talk about her group's interests and um, requesting the MCCSC appoint a working group of school board members and possibly uh, community individuals to examine the boundaries for school board seats and review the school's governance plan. Uh, Deborah, with remaining time that we have, we have about four minutes left. Uh, can you tell us um, what are future initiatives after this particular initiative? Uh, and the success will be sort of measured in getting this working committee uh, two parts to this question. What are the expectations you have once this group, and, and I guess you're very hopeful that it will form, but once the group forms, what are the ex expectations you're hoping for? And then secondly, after this review, then, then what? What do you see on the horizon? And I want to add a little third question to that. How can people contact you or become a part of the committee? Sure. Um, well, one, I should just emphasize that the Community Committee for Educational Equity is a pretty informal committee. We're parents, school uh, educators, uh, residents of the community who just have an interest in public education in the community and looking at equity issues. So it's not like we have a board or funding. We're a loose organization. And that's partly why it's so been, been so important for us to build coalition with other community groups. And so we've been really thrilled to have that coalition building. Uh, in terms of next steps, you know, even though I think there's a lot, again, just think about educational equity, everybody may have their own thoughts about how to pursue that in the community. Honestly, because of our loose organization, our focus right now is requesting that, that committee for the school board. I think there certainly is room and opportunity to visit other issues, but I fear that it will get 
too distracted. We want to focus on getting that committee appointed with community members on that committee as a way to really focus on getting that school board, the school board districts and school governance plan revised. Once that's done, again, the other part, part of this is to get people more interested in, and involved with either our committee or other committee or other groups that are allied with us to look at issues dealing with public education in the community. So in terms of getting further involved with our committee, uh, again, our email address is educationalequityin at gmail.com. So I certainly welcome any emails. We also have a Facebook page that's www.facebook.com forward slash educationalequityin. And so you can, again, read more information about us or get in touch with us through that Facebook page. Now, we have seven school board members, as you mentioned earlier. How many are up for re-election? What districts? And how would the general public find that out? Sure. Excellent question. Um, there, it, the school board of those seven, they cycle every two years because they each have four-year terms of four and three. So the next round will be three candidates. I honestly don't have the district numbers memorized, um, but I encourage people, if you go to the Board of Trustees section of the MCCSE website, which is mccse.edu, you can look at the Board of Trustees and actually will tell you, it has a list of all the school board members, tells you when their terms expire, and you can kind of do the math on which ones will be coming up for election next. You know, we're sort of like a minute away from ending this. We're going to allow you to have sort of the last word on this topic. Um, one thing I, I do want to ask you, are you pleased with the outcome of the um, discussion on the shaming uh, that has been going on nationally, but yet this community's response to that? Sure. Well, I was really so amazed and impressed with how the community came out on behalf of this issue. Um, it was something that people were not happy with how it was dealt with the first time. I really appreciate the school board responding to those requests because that's how democracy works, right? You have one angle and then it's an interactive process and that's what we hope this to be as well. Um, again, October 19th at 5.30, that's a Thursday at the MCCSE Administration Building at 315 North Drive. That's a chance to, you don't have to say anything, there's no public comment, you're not allowed to speak, you're welcome to sit and observe and I think that a strong turnout would be an excellent uh, opportunity to really move this forward. Alrighty. I want to we want to thank Deborah Myerson of the Community Committee for the Education Equity for coming to join us this evening. She's representing an organization that desires the MCCSC to appoint a working group of school board members to examine the boundaries for school board seats and review the school governance plan. I will add that her contact information is educationalequity.com. I'm sorry equity at uh, gmail.com for emails, equity at gmail.com, and for Facebook, www.facebook.com forward slash educationalequity.com. Uh, sorry, quick correction. It's educationalequityin at gmail.com. Just make sure that people get that right. Just IN as in Indiana. We okay. just wanted to make it specific for that. So both of the Facebook as well as the email are educationalequityin at gmail.com or uh, as an extension off of the Facebook.com. Uh, All right. And um, if you have an event that you would want us to know about and if you have an opinion of current black issues, send your comments to bring it on at WFHB.org. For Bring It On, I'm Clarence Boone. And I'm Cornelius Wright. You're listening to Bring It On, Indiana's only public affairs program dedicated to the African-American community. Here on WFHB 91.3 FM on your radio and live on the web at WFHB.org.
And we want to also thank Jamie Cornwell, cancer educator, nurse navigator with the Olcott Center at IU Health Bloomington, Bloomington to discuss. Uh, she came on to discuss cancer rates um, and to more so talk about early detection and prevention that we all should pay attention to. To contact Jamie Cornwell, her personal phone number, she's uh, provided that to be shared, 812 812- Three five three five six seven four again eight one two three five three five six seven four, or the office number eight one two three five three five six six nine again eight one two three five three five six six nine. Our show's executive producer and co-host this evening is Clarence Boone, with help from WFHB News Department Director Wes Martin. Our board engineer is Jennifer Brooks. Our original theme music was created by Jamil Effiem with additional background tracks by David Baker. For WFHB, I'm Cornelius Wright. And I'm Clarence Boone. Tune in next Monday, uh, October the 9th at 6 p.m., where we will plan to host a conversation with Indiana State Representative Charlie Brown. He's a member of the Indiana Black Legislative Caucus. And this and more next week on Bring It On, right here on your community radio station, WFHB. You've been listening to Bring It On, a volunteer-powered production of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana. Bring It On is your forum for open dialogue on the people, issues, and events affecting the African-American community in South Central Indiana and beyond. Send your comments, suggestions, and story ideas directly to the Bring It On staff. The email address is bringit at wfhb.org. That's bringit at wfhb.org.